session number nine of our series of studies in the life of Moses. And this evening's passage is Exodus chapter 14, a very interesting passage, a passage that starts with a lot of confusion, but ends with also a lot of confusion, but for a different party. With confusion for the Israelites when they are wondering what's going to happen, how are we going to cross this big sea. But it ends with confusion from the Egyptians who thought that they would be able to also go through the land on the, that has been opened up for them through the sea and they would also survive. But the sea closes in on them and there is confusion. So this chapter is a book uh, or is a, is a chapter of confusions, but in the midst of that confusions, there's also a pathway that is formed. An ancient Jewish commentary compares this passage to a man walking alone with his son in a dark night. They walked single file to remain on the narrow road. And when the man sensed a thief ahead, he moved his son behind him to protect him. And when the man sensed a wolf behind them, he moved his son in front of him. And when both the thief and the wolf approached at the same time, the man put his son on his shoulders to protect him from both the threats. And the son maybe would have felt confused at being jostled back and forth by his father, but through it all, he trusted his father to keep him safe on the dark path. And this is the primary lesson from this particular chapter. I'm sure you're familiar with this miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, but this evening we're going to learn some principles from this passage for application into our own lives. Now, as we walk along the uncertain path of this life, God's leading can be deeply confusing. Now you may wonder, why did this happen? You know, how come this door closed? You know? And you may have questions. What is God doing in my life? I expected a smooth sailing, no problems. But why are all these dead ends? Why are all these blockages coming in? But our job in the midst of all these confusing situations is to be faithful to God, to stand firm, okay, and do and see what God is going to do. And that's what we are going to learn this evening. What does it mean to stand still? What, it, what does it also mean to move forward? How can both these things go together as well? So let's look into this passage this evening. First of all, let's look at the problems that they face, the problems that they face. We find this in the first 12 verses of Exodus chapter 14. The first of all, they had a problem with the wilderness that was around them. Verse 3 tells us, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness or the desert has shut them in. Now, look at the languages that is used here. First of all, when we speak about the word entangled, okay? When we're using the word entangled, it basically means they were perplexed, they were confused, you know, or if you were to put it in another way, they have lost their way. So this is the problem they were in. 
they were confused what was happening. You know, they had lost their way. They have gone to a new place and it's like they are going round in circles. You know, they have got entangled. They have got themselves into a knot. You know, and that is a problem that they were facing. Now, why were they facing this? What more is mentioned over here? Look at the details about the land that they were in. Okay. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 and 2 tells us, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp between Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Balzipon, before it shall you encamp by the sea. Okay. Now, what is this geographical location? There are two mountains on either side. They are supposed to be encamping in the valley in the middle. Okay. Now, the back portion behind them is the route that they came by from Egypt. And in front of them is the Red Sea. Okay. Now, was that a good place to be in? And the Lord is the one who has asked them to come here. Now, that was the escape route, which would be, okay, go back from where you came. But... Obviously, now you have the Egyptians coming from that route. So, it is like they are now in a dead end. Two million of them have exited Egypt. Okay? They have been slaves over there for 400 plus years. And now, finally, after the 10 plagues, you know, they have seen God delivering them from the land of Egypt. Okay? And, as we said last time, the easiest, shortest route could have been to go straight. But the Lord took them by the coastal land. And when the Lord is taking them by the coastal land, and he is putting them here between two mountains, they are sitting in the valley, and in front of them is the sea. Now, from a scenic position, it would have been looked very good. But from a strategic safe position, not really, isn't it? Not really. It is like they are in a dead end. Sometimes, you know, you may be in a situation in which it looks like a dead end to you. Okay, You don't see any future in front of you. And you wonder, why did God put me here? Why did God allow me to come over here? Why did God put me into this confusing situation? I don't know what to do next. Okay, But remember... Not all times God puts us over here. Okay? Sometimes we may also land up in a position like this because we have made mistakes. Okay? But here it is God who has put them here. So as soon as you are in a dead end, don't blame God. If you have made the mistakes and landed up in the soup that you are in, you make sure that you do the necessary corrections. But here it is God who has asked them to come in this particular situation. But Whatever it may be, whether you are in because of your mistakes or God has put you in, the assurance that God gives us even this evening is that God is the one who is going to make a way. You know, as the song says, where there seems to be no way, he will make a way. And, and the old Sunday school chorus which said, the Lord knows his way through the wilderness, all I have to do is to follow. All I have to do is to follow. So the first problem here is that they are in a confused position. They are in a dead end and they don't know what to do. Okay. And God is saying, all you have to do is trust me. Okay. Secondly, they also had a problem with the world that was behind them. What is the world that was behind them? 
This was the Egyptians. They had come from Egypt. And verses 5 to 9 speaks about how when it was told to the king that the people had fled, the heart of Pharaoh and all his servants was turned against the people. And they said, hey, so many years they have been serving us. How did we let them go just like that? And they say now they want to go and serve their God. So many years they were serving us. How come we allow them to go by so soon? We have lost our manpower, so we must do something about them. And they immediately turn to capture them back again. So a couple of important things over here. First of all, remember they were owned by Egypt. They were owned by Egypt. They were enslaved to them. And if you notice the Red Sea experience, is a, uh, is a type, if you would say, or an example of how God delivers us. We were slaves to sin, and then God set us free because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now, when we have been set free from sin, when we have been set free from Satan's clutches, before we receive Jesus into our lives, and now we belong to Satan, we were slaves to sin, slaves to Satan, now that we have said yes to Jesus to follow after him, to do what he wants us to do, we have said, Lord, we want to serve you. Satan is not going to be happy. And that's what the Egyptians did. They said, hey, we have lost the service of these people. Now we are going to go back to them. So Satan will definitely try to do his level best to get us back. But remember, if we belong to Christ, God is the one who is going to look after us. And I, yes, there will be confusion. Yes, there will be troubles. Life is not going to be easy, but God's presence is definitely going to be there. So they were initially slaves to them. Okay. Now, if you notice, they have become so fast you know, in their journey. These guys are walking you know, the long journey. The Egyptians had chariots, okay? faster mode of transportation. And as a result, we find, secondly, that they were overtaken by these Egyptians. They have reached that place. When you, the word that is used there for overtaken does not mean that they went ahead of them. They have caught up with them. Okay? They have caught up with them. And what happens now to these Israelites? So far, they have been praising God. God, we thank you for the deliverance that you gave us from Egypt, after 430 years of slavery, you have set us free. We rejoice. And now suddenly, what happens? Verse 10, chapter 14. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So now not only is there a problem that is outside of them, that is the Egyptians trying to catch up with them and take them back, but now there's also a problem inside of them, this worry that is now troubling them inside. Now this is something that happens in our lives as well, isn't it? When we have made a commitment to follow after God, we think it is all going to be easy. When trouble comes our way, when things don't work out the way we want to, when Satan tempts us, we fall into sin, then there are questions, there is worry that happens. What happened? What happened? I thought it would be like this, but it is not like this. And worry begins to come in. Now, we must remember the key over here is that the Israelites looked at the Egyptians. They lifted up their eyes. 
Remember, we ended last week with the thought of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire leading them day and night. And as long as their eyes were on that, they knew that was the presence of God. But now what has happened? Instead of looking at the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, what are they looking at? They have turned their eyes to the problem. They have turned their eyes to these Egyptians who are after them. So when they took their eyes off the Lord and looked back and saw the Egyptians, they began to be afraid. They began to be afraid. Now, they did not cry out to God first, but immediately they became full of fear. And when a person is full of fear, there is definitely panic that sets in. When we forget that God is in control, we forget the precious promises that he has given to us to hold on to in the midst of those tight situations, we forget that, then it is only fear that will grip us. A lot of people drop out of their walk with God because fear has gripped them. They think, I don't think it will work out. You know, I thought Christianity was good. I thought I will have victory. But this came and that came and I was put into this tough situation. Life became very confusing to me. I lost out on so many things. So when worry and fear grips their lives, what will happen is oftentimes your eyes can become full of fear and forget the fact that God is still there with you. God is still there with you. Now we see the signs of uh, these people worrying. We see the indication of the multitudes worrying. When the Bible tells us that they were terrified, they were terrified. They were so afraid. It was not just a fear. It was more of a panic. You know, It was panic that struck them. They said, you know, God is going to let us down because in front is the sea. How are we going to cross the sea? Back are the Egyptians. How are we going to survive them? And their fear that gripped them, the panic that gripped them was God is going to abandon them. Have you gone through situations like that? When you're in such a tight corner, there's so much of panic inside of you because of the fear that has gripped you to think that God is going to leave you. Now remember, God has not brought you out of Egypt. God has not brought you out of slavery to sin to abandon us. God has not brought us and given us life to abandon us, to give us up. God has not sent down his son to die on the cross for us and after that to abandon us. No, he won't do that. He is going to be with us. But when our eyes are taken off God and fixed on the problem that is there, then when panic takes over, we feel that God has abandoned us. Now, we also have an indication of Moses also getting into all this panic worrying. If you notice in verse 15, and the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Okay. So, Moses maybe is not showing it in front of the people, but he's coming before God and saying, God, what is this? What is this? After all that you have done for us, is this how it is all going to end? Okay. Now, sometimes you know, we may not express it publicly to people and say, I give up my faith. But there may be questions in your minds and saying, hey, is this worth it all? 
and you may just go on with the flow, but there's no life in you. You don't really have the excitement of knowing the presence of God in your life. Remember, either of these two, whether it's an open expression of worry or whether it's an internal expression of worry, we must learn how to respond to a situation like this. What should we do? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When you feel you're in this tight corner, remember Peter walking on the water? As long as he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, he could walk. But as soon as he looked at the waves, looked at the the seas roaring, heard the sound of all that, his faith went for a toss, gripped him when he took his eyes off Jesus. As long as we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, don't fix your eyes on the problem. Problems are going to be there in this world. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? Be of good cheer, but I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, you will have problems, but don't fix your eyes on them. Fix your eyes on the one who is there with you in the midst of that problem. So keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Then, situation has happened. Look at what God does for his people. God has not abandoned them. They think that God has abandoned them, but God has not abandoned them. He gives them some words. He prompts them or gives them a lot of promptings you know, to tell them, hey, look here, I'm still here. This is what I want you to do. But our job is to listen to that. Sometimes if fear has gripped us, even though God is speaking to us, we cannot hear his promptings at all. This is why once we fix our eyes on God, then we would be able to hear what he is telling us. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13, Moses said to the people, fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Word of confidence, isn't it? Now, Moses has come before God. Moses has got his confidence now. He has heard from God. He has fixed his eyes on God, heard from God. Confidence has been built up in him. So Moses speaks to them about avoiding fear, Okay, how to avoid fear. And then he gives them this command. There's a command that is found in Moses' statements, fear ye not, fear ye not. Okay, Now that's a command, that's a command statement. And if you notice in the scriptures, there are plenty of promises which speaks about do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Okay, Why is that so? Because God knows we are prone to fear. God knows that if we don't trust in him, the alternative is only fearing what's going to happen to us. And by virtue of 400 plus years, they have been slaves, their mentality. Remember the last years of their slavery in Egypt, they were living so fearful lives because they had to produce the same number of bricks without provision of any straw. So they were living in fear whether they're going to get the next backlash on them, whether they're going to be lashed again and beaten up again. And that was the fear that they were living in as slaves. And after having been there for so long as a slave, their mindset was like that. Their mindset was they are the masters, they will do what they want to, and we are all going to be slaves. And that mindset has crept into them so much that they do not have any hope for the future. 
Now, if a person is living in fear for a long time, your emotions are broken down. You know, what will happen is for you to get out of that state of depression is going to be tough. But you can do it. God gives us the strength. God gives us the hope. This is why the command is given and saying, don't fear, don't fear. Somebody has put it across this way who said, fear God and you have nothing else to fear. Fear God and you have nothing else to fear. In other words, if you are trusting God and saying, God, I know you are not going to allow anything to happen to me without your knowledge. I trust in you. And as a result, I put my complete faith in you. Then no matter whatever happens in your life, you are at rest because you know that God is going to be there with you. So Moses gives them this command. And I believe that's the same command that he's, God is giving to each one of us today. When we are in a dead end, when we are confused with what's happening in our lives, the word that comes from God is, do not fear, do not fear. I am there. I brought you out of Egypt. I have led you in your Christian walk so far. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm definitely going to be there with you. Secondly, there's a confidence that is found in Moses' statement where he says, stand still and see. Stand still and see. Okay. And look at the confidence statement where he says, the Egyptians that you see now, you will not see them anymore. You won't see them anymore. What a confidence statement. Okay. How did he get that confidence? Because he has spent time with God. He has got that message from God. His faith has been built up. His fear has been replaced by faith. And when he knows that God is there, he says, hey, I will see now what God is going to do. It's not a statement of uh, uh, not to say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. Let's uh, wait and watch. No, it's a statement of confidence. I know God is going to do something. What he's going to do, I do not know. So I'm going to sit back and see. So three things, if you notice, Moses tells them to do. First of all, he says, do not fear. Secondly, he says, stand firm, stand right where you are. You do not panic and run away okay, from the situation. That's what standstill basically means. Okay? Don't give up. That's what it means. Okay? Don't go back. No, stand still. Be where you are and see the salvation of God. Wait on God and see what God is going to do. I would encourage you, put these three things into operation in your life. When fear grips you to take control, look at the Lord. Faith will be supreme over fear in your life. Then instead of running away from the situation, you hang around and see what God is going to do. And you expectantly see what God is going to do. And that is the same analogy when we think about what God has done for us. As long as we think we can do something, we are going to be failures. But when we say, Lord, I cannot do it. I'm in a dead end now. It's only you who can help me. Then God steps in. That is true in our salvation, isn't it? If we think our good works is going to save us, no way, no way. All our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. But when you come before God and say, Lord, I see no way out. I cannot help it. I cannot do anything on my own. I'm depending on you. I trust in you. I'm standing still to see what you are going to do. Then God gives us the free gift of salvation. And when we receive it by faith, then we have the victory over sin in our lives. 
Secondly, Moses spoke to them about the fact that God is going to be the one who's going to fight for them. First, he tells them, hey, don't be afraid. Three things, do not fear, stand still and see. Okay. And then he gives them this encouraging word in verse 14. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Dead end. When you have your temptations too strong for you, your habits too strong for you, you're afraid that you will fail. God says, don't worry, I am going to fight for you. And that's the word of encouragement, isn't it? When you say the Lord Almighty, Almighty is the Lord of hosts, the one who is in charge of the angelic hosts. Okay? So the Lord is saying, look here, if these enemies think that they are a large number, you are backed by the host of the armies of heaven, the head of the host of the armies of heaven. And that's a great relief, isn't it? If you think you're very uh, feeble and faint, and you know, Satan is too powerful, sometimes we think of it like that, oh, he made me sin. No, he didn't make you sin, you yielded to the temptation. But we think that he's so powerful that he tripped us. No, remember, God is the one who is in you. And the Bible tells us the one who is in you is far greater than the one who is in the world. So the Lord is saying, I am going to fight for you. Consider, first of all, the Almighty's identity. Who is the one who is saying this? The Lord. If you have responded to Christ, Jesus in us is far, far greater than any problem that you and I will face. Any problem you and I will face. Isn't that a great encouragement? And also a great relief because the Lord also gives us his intention. Not only his identity, identity, who is the one who is going to fight for you. He also gives us the intention. He says, I shall fight for you. I shall fight for you. Okay. Sometimes we think we are too weak and the enemy is too strong and we will lose the battle. The Lord says, no, I shall fight for you. And if the Lord himself is fighting for us, would we lose a battle? Would we lose a battle? We are always on the winning side if Jesus is the one who is fighting for us, isn't it? So when you are in a tight spot, when you are in a dead end, when you feel that you are too weak against the battles of life and against the temptations of life, remember the Lord says, don't be afraid. I am the one who is fighting for you. Thirdly, Moses spoke to them to move forward. Move forward. Okay. The Lord says in verse 15, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. There's a time to stand still. There's a time to pray. But there's also a time to move forward. When God tells us to move forward, don't stand still. Okay. Don't stand still. When God tells us to move forward, don't stand still. Now, when you look at God's instruction, Possibly, it would have produced a lot of hesitation in their minds. They may have had a question, but God, but God. Now, when God told them move forward, where was the forward mark? The forward mark was the sea, isn't it? So, initially, definitely God's instruction could have possibly produced a hesitation in their minds to say a question, but God, you are asking me to do this, you know. You're asking me to take this step. There's no way to go. The only portion over here is the sea. Did you ask me to walk on this sea? That's a question you may have. Now, sometimes 
you know, when the, there's, everything is closed and the Lord says, okay, you take this step. You may say, Lord, this step, this step. But this is why we have the assurance. The Lord will make a way for us when there seems to be no way. But that way comes in. Not when we are sitting and questioning and saying, no, I'm not going to move forward. But when we are willing to take the first step. So if you are willing to take the first step, then God's instruction plainly provides us a hope, a hope. Tell uh, Moses to do. He says, okay, you take that piece of you know, wood that is in your hands and lift it up. Again, okay, when you stretch out your hand, then what will happen? The waters will part and then you'd be able to go on dry land. This is God's word. Okay, He says, take that step. And when you take that step of faith, then things will open up for you. Don't be afraid. Be still. Take that step. And as you take that step, you will see God delivering you. I don't know what fearful stage you are in this evening. I don't know that your situation, what tight corners, dead ends you are in. But let these words from God be an encouragement for you to take that step of faith, trusting that God is asking you to do this. And when you do that, then the Lord also, as he says, I shall fight for you, he provides for you. Look at the provision that helped the children of Israel. Verses 17 to 31. 17 to 31. In others, God's provision. What is the provision that God gave them? First of all, God gave a brightness to his people to guide them. Now, the pillar of light, okay, fire, was there in front of them so that they could see. But the pillar of cloud moved backwards so that it was pitch darkness between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. Okay, And that's what God did for them. Okay. Is he prevented the enemy from catching up in that sense to overtake them or to capture them? He brought them into confusion by making sure that they were living in the dark. But God gave light to the Israelites. It's like God putting a covering around them, God gave a boundary to his people to guard them. God gave a boundary to his people to guard them. So that's what God does for us. Okay, when we trust him, say, Lord, I know this is a dead end. I, know how, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I trust in you. I'm taking that step of faith. And when we do that, God's protection is upon us. He makes sure that the enemy is kept at his uh, distance. He makes sure that he is able to guide us during this you know, uh, confusing times. And he makes sure also that land is opened up. So in the depths of the sea, God provided land to step in. In Exodus 14, verses 21 and 22, we read, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea, upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them, on their right hand and on their left hand. I wonder if you are in that crowd, walking in the midst of two huge columns of water, 
but in the middle is dry ground, what would your feelings have been? Would you have been afraid that the waters can come over you? Would you have been filled with amazement to say, hey, there's dry ground when there's so much of water all around? How would your eyes have been fixed on God to say, God, you are a miracle worker. When there seemed to be no way, Lord, you opened up the way for me. Would you have been in, in an attitude or an aspect of worshiping God, praising God? When God provides land for us to step in, when God opens up the door, when God takes us out of these dead-end situations, oftentimes a person can still be fearful. I wonder when the waters are going to come over me. Or a person may be not sure, is this actual land? All those thoughts can come in if you are not trusting God. But if you are trusting God, you are living in an attitude of thanksgiving before God. How are you living even this evening? Is your life a life of restful peace that God is taking care of you? There are problems around. It's not that there are no problems, you know, but God is taking care of you. Are you sure of that or are you living in fear? Now, why did God do this? A couple of important reasons. One, that so that God's people would be aware of his might. That God's people would be aware of his might. To know that our God is an almighty God. Okay? And if you notice in the scriptures after this, the nation of Israel always looked back to this time. They looked back to this time on how God miraculously opened up the sea for them. And in our own lives too, God takes us through these dead ends so that we would be aware of his might. So that we too can later on in life testify and says, where there seemed to be no way, he opened up a way. I definitely recognize it was the Lord's doing. It was only God who helped me. And I'm sure even in your life right now, you can look back on situations in which you would be able to say, it was God who did this for me. If it was not God, I do not know where I would be. God opened up the door so that his people would be aware of who he is. Secondly, so that God's people would be avoiding the Maya, so that their legs will not sink in a, into soft soil. Remember, constantly we speak about miry clay. Okay? He, take, he took our feet off the miry clay and put us on the solid rock. Okay? Our foundations are strong. God does this for us so that our foundations of our faith become stronger. When we have seen the hand of God delivering us through some impossible situations in life, what happens to our faith? Our faith does not become like miry clay. Our faith becomes like solid rock. Our foundations become strong. As Psalm 40 verses 1 and 2 tells us, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my prayer. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Thirdly, not only in the darkness does God provide us light to see, not only in the depths that God provides us land to step in, but in the midst of these difficult situations, what does he do to the Egyptians? He gave one look at them to scare them. Look at that incident in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 24. 
And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. This account ends with God looking in a fearful way at the persecutors. Now, this is an interesting thought over here, isn't it? Not only has he delivered you, but he also gives a, you know, a penetrating, fierceful look to the Egyptians. Okay? A historian tells us that showers of rain came down from the sky and dreadful thunders and lightning with flashes of fire. Thunderbolts also were darted upon them, nor was there anything want to be sent by God upon men as indications of his wrath, which did not happen upon this occasion. So in other words, it was not just the, the, the mass of volumes of water just standing on the side, but in the midst of that darkness that was behind them, thunder and lightning and rain and everything flashed upon them. It is like when you hear thunder, if some people say, oh, God is angry, the clouds are angry. So it was like you know, the lightning that bursts upon them. God looked at them. That's what the scripture tells us. God looked upon the host of the Egyptians and troubled the host of the Egyptians. So this account ends with these two things, with God looking in a fearful way at the persecutors. But on the other hand, he looks in a favorable way at his people. This is them, okay, so that the, what, the land that was firm now has become again mushy. On firm land, chariots can go easily. On soft soil, chariots are going to get stuck up in the soil, thrown off. There's confusion among them. But what happens to the Israelites? The scripture tells us, you know, they were safe. In verse 28, it says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left hand. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. We can learn from this deliverance a couple of important truths, and with that we'll close this evening. Number one, that God is in control. God is in control. The first lesson we can see is that you know, God was directing their steps. There were no mistakes. There were no coincidences. You know. Even in the midst of this dead end, this was definitely God orchestrating their events. So when things are going different situations in your life, remember, God is in control. God is in control. When things to be, uh, seems to be confusing, remember, God is in control. There are no mistakes in God's plan for your life. God is very much in control. And that's the first important lesson. So when you are in a tough situation, the first thing is instead of blaming God, you come to God and say, God, I don't know how this fits into your plan for my life, but I'm going to rest in the fact that you are in control of what is going on in my life right now. And this is going to fit your purposes for me somehow. I do not know how, but I'm going to trust you. 
And that's the first important thing that we must do. Secondly, do not panic. Do not panic. Fear can quickly compromise faith. Okay, Even though you know better and even though you have seen what God can do. God has brought them out of Egypt after delivering them through all those ten plagues. But still now, when they saw this, they panicked. So past experiences are no guarantee that you won't have fear. Fear will come, but do not panic. Do not look at that situation, but rather look at God. You saw the pattern that we learned. They saw, first of all, the Egyptians. Then they feared, and then they cried out to God. That's not the pattern we should do, isn't it? As soon as a situation comes into our life, be restful, come before God and say, Lord, I do not know how this is going to work out or why this has happened, but I believe that you are in control. As a result, I would not allow fear to grip me, but I am going to allow faith to take control. Think for a moment of the statements that they make you know, when they are fearful. They say, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They are at the point of saying, you know, it is better that we serve the Egyptians than we serve the living God. That is how panic has taken them. And sometimes that can happen. There are individuals who lose their faith because they said, Lord, how did you allow this to happen? How come you could have allowed this to happen? This calamity, this problem. And some people even lose their faith. No, no, no. Don't tell God, God, it is better that I was not a Christian, but you, know, you have allowed me to go through all this. No, don't give up on serving God. You have started out on your Christian journey. No matter whatever happens in your life, hold on to God. Do not panic because God is the one who is in control. Next, you begin to see how God is going to move, how God is going to move. You find this in verses 15 onwards. Watch God move. Watch God move. Okay. Thirdly is live by faith. Live by faith. You know, do not panic, but instead of being fearful, live by faith. Focus on what God is going to do. That's what we learned in that 13 and 14. Live by faith. Take that step of faith that God is asking you to do. And then from verses 15 to 31 till the end of the chapter, you stand still and see what God is going to do. So don't fear. Stand still. See what God is going to do. Week, even this evening, if you are going through a situation which seems like a dead end, let me encourage you. God is in control. Do not panic. Live by faith and watch God move. Pray together.